Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lift it up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the Old Testament book of Revelation. The Old Testament book, or New Testament book, sorry, I'm just getting mixed everything. The New Testament book of Revelation, Revelation in chapter number six, which is the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation in chapter number six. We're in a series dealing with the millennial kingdom, the thousand year reign of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we've defined terms, we've gone ahead and set up the purposes, and now we're trying to hit a timeline of events leading up to this millennial kingdom. And the next big segment that we are going to cover is going to be a period of seven years that is commonly called the tribulation. The tribulation. And we start in the book of Revelation in chapter number six. The book of Revelation chapter six. And if you don't mind, let's look together starting at verse one. Revelation chapter six and verse one. And I saw when the lamb opened one of the seals and I heard as it were the noise of thunder, one of the four beasts saying, come and see. And I saw and beheld a white horse and he that sat on him had a bow and a crown was given unto him and he went forth conquering and to conquer. And when he had opened up the second seal, I heard the second beast say, come and see. And there went out another horse that was red, and the power was given to him that sat thereon to take peace from the earth, that they should kill one another. And there was given unto him a great sword. And when he had opened up the third seal, I heard the third beast say, Come and see. And I beheld, and lo, a black horse. And he that sat on him had a pair of balances in his hand. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four beasts say, Measure of wheat for a penny, and three measures of barley for a penny, and see thou hurt not the oil and the wine. And when he had opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth beast say, Come and see. And I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and his name that sat on him was Death, and hell followed with him. And the power was given unto them over the fourth part of the earth to kill with the sword and with hunger and with death and with the beast of the earth. And when he had opened up the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? And white robes were given unto every one of them. And it was said unto them that they should rest yet 
for a little season until their fellow servants also and their brethren that should be killed as they were should be fulfilled. And I beheld when he had opened the sixth seal and lo, there were great earthquake and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair and the moon became as blood and the stars of the heaven fell to, unto the earth, even as the fig tree casteth her untimely figs, when she is shaken of a mighty wind. And the heaven departed as a scroll, when it is rolled back together, and every mountain and island were moved out of their places. And the kings of the earth, and the great men, and the rich men, and the chief captains, and the mighty men, and every bondman, and every freeman, hid themselves in the dens and the rocks of the mountains, and said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us, and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne." And from the wrath of the Lamb, for the great day of his wrath is come, who shall be able to stand? And if you're in the habit of making, marking things in your Bible, mark a phrase that we find in the book of Revelation chapter 6. Revelation chapter 6, and notice with me in verse number 17, the great day of his wrath. The great day of of his wrath. And with this, we're going to take a quick summary and do a timeline of the tribulation. The timeline of the tribulation. If you don't mind, <coughs> let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. <coughs> Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for you being a wonderful God. And as we come up to you today, Lord, we're just asking that you would give us grace and that you would give us mercy, that you would give us understanding and that you would just help us, Lord, to be able to get an understanding of the timeline, of the summary of what's going on, and that we could also discern the purpose, what this is for, and that we can apply it to us here today as we're looking into the future as you have given us um, a glimpse of it. I'm asking that you would be with me, that you would give me much wisdom to be able to time things correctly, to be able to say the right things, that you would give us understanding, direction. We just need you. Fill me with your spirit as I just surrender myself to you. Please get your own work accomplished. Just use me as your vessel as you see fit. And we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Now we are going to look through the timeline of the tribulation and instead of having detailed uh, PowerPoint like I usually do, what we're doing today is that we're just going to hit some of the beats of it. And so we're just going to do a quick summary and just hit some of the beats of the things going to the tribulation. And so with that, let's just kind of give a quick little overview of this timeline of the tribulation. Now, the first thing that we have to do is see the events before the tribulation actually begins. Let's look at some of these events that occur before the tribulation starts. Now the very next thing on God's calendar, it is something called the rapture. Remember the rapture is not a Bible word, but it is a good word that describes a biblical picture and a biblical principle and a biblical description that means the calling away. And that the next thing on God's calendar is the rapture. There are no more signs, no more wonders, nothing that has to be fulfilled, no more stars in the sky, no more things found in the news, no more bombings, no more countries to be formed, no more countries to be toppled, no many presidents. There is nothing left to be fulfilled on God's calendar 
that would stop the rapture from happening. That means the rapture can happen today. It could happen tonight. It could happen in another 50 years. We do not know, but it is the very next thing on God's calendar is the rapture. That what the rapture is, is that anyone who's come to the place where they realize that they are a sinner and because of their sin that they've offended a holy righteous God, but Jesus Christ came to pay their punishment and they came to the place where they personally accepted Jesus as their savior, that they became saved, they became a Christian, they became one of God's people and the Holy Spirit who is God comes to indwell in that person. When the rapture happens, God is going to pull back his Holy Spirit and because we are now ingrained in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit lives within us, all of us as Christians are going to be called away. We're taken out of this place. We're leaving this place. The Bible explains that the dead in Christ shall rise first, then we that are alive and remain shall meet them together up in the air. The Bible says how fast this will happen in 1 Corinthians 15, that it will be one one thousandth of a second in a twinkling of an eye that one day we'll hear, one moment we're here, and then boom, we're out of here. This is the next event on God's calendar, this event of the rapture. Now, after the rapture, things are going to happen very rapidly and things are going to happen very catastrophically. If you could imagine millions and millions of people being called away, being raptured out of here, being brought out of this old world, well, that's going to cause a lot of confusion. And the next event after the rapture, according to my personal belief, Jeremiah 50 and 51, describe a place called Babylon. And we've already hit a message on this earlier on Babylon destroyed. It is my personal belief that Babylon here is America. That if you can imagine all of a sudden millions of people disappeared, there's lots of peoples with hands on buttons. Those buttons control missiles that will be launched all across the world. You could very easily see with a lot of scared people not knowing what's going on, somebody's going to launch a missile. And once somebody launches a missile, more people are going to launch missiles. And it is going to be a horrible time. And one of the main casualties in this is going to be America. You say, but why? The Bible indicates that anyone that had the opportunity to hear the gospel before the rapture will not have that opportunity to hear the or accept the gospel after the rapture. Well, in America, anyone could get saved who wants to get saved. They could just go to Walmart and go pick up a Bible. They could go find themselves to a church. There is so much freedom. So it does make sense that just take away the gospel rich environment. It's going to be taken away. Now that is my own conclusion based off of the things, but we can understand that immediately after the rapture, there's going to be lots of confusion. There's going to be press people pressing buttons and there's going to be a lot of warfare, a lot of death and a lot of things making a confusing situation even worse. Now, <laughs> This is going to lead to the next event of the rise of the Antichrist. The Bible says and indicates in the book of 2 Thessalonians that the Antichrist cannot be revealed until the Holy Spirit is taken away. Well, because the Holy Spirit lives inside of us, that we need to be raptured out before 
the Antichrist can be revealed into general public. The Bible describes the Antichrist, where he is from. He's from a European nation. And he is going to come posing as a man of peace. Now, he's not going to be a man of peace, but that's what he's going to pose about. And he's going to rise out of the confusion and out of the scared masses as a hero, as someone who has the answers. And for example, what type of answers can he have? Well, there's a homeless problem. And guess what? All of these houses are now abandoned. Let's go ahead and solve our homeless problem by giving all the homeless people these empty houses. Hey, we have a transportation problem. No problem. We have all of these vehicles that have been abandoned. Let's go ahead and give a vehicle to everyone who needs one. And he's going to seem like he solves the world's problems. In addition, we've got to solve the problem of all the disappearing people. Now, it just so happens that the answer to that is going to be made apparent, or at least the, the, um, what the press is going to say the answer to this is. Now, think about the rapture. The rapture is going to call away everyone who's known Jesus Christ as their personal savior. That means by default, everyone who's left behind are people who have not accepted Jesus Christ as their savior. And because people have a hard time admitting that they're wrong, they cannot accept the idea that Jesus called his people away. So we've got to come up with a different excuse. How can we come up with an idea? What can we do to explain where millions and millions of people just disappeared to? And the answer is going to be aliens. This is why there's such a big rising in curiosity about aliens now. It is going to, it's already laying the groundwork as a good excuse. What happened to all these millions of people? The aliens came. They beamed them all away. They're all gone. Oh no. And so in order to keep everyone safe, and what we're going to see, we have a society that is scared. And a society that is scared is ready to buy into any solution. Now, a couple of years ago when I said this, a lot of people laughed and snickered. But we've lived through this. And we've already seen what happens to an entire planet when they are scared that they could be lied to, they could be manipulated, and they could be fed that fear to do things that they normally would not have done. We've seen that. Now, can you imagine that millions of people disappeared? Followed by millions of people dying because of nuclear blasts, because people are pushing buttons? There's going to be a lot of scared people. There's a lot of uncertainty. And now they're telling us that aliens have come? How are we going to protect ourselves? And the Antichrist is going to come up with a great solution. That what we're going to do in order to keep you safe, we're going to give you a chip, an RDIF chip, some type of chip that you could put inside of your hand. And so that way we could keep our economy safe. You don't have to worry about credit cards. You don't have to about people stealing your wallet anymore. In this chip, it has your name. It has your medical history. It has your bank account. It has everything that you need in there. It can never be taken away from you. And you could keep it in your hand. You say, well, that sounds like science fiction. Well, it is science fact. People have this today. That 
you could go down, let's say Florida. In Florida, you have a bunch of those rich girls who don't want to carry a purse, but they have to pay for clubs. They actually have a chip in their hand and they could go to a club and scan it. It automatically takes the money out and they have no purse to steal. In Wisconsin, we were, our, our claim to fame is we have one of the first companies to have all of their employees have a chip in their hand so they could walk through the doors. It's already here. The technology is already available. And the Antichrist is going to sell this by not only saying it's going to secure our economy, but inside of this has a GPS chip. And if the aliens come and take another batch of people, we will keep you safe. We'll be able to find where you're at and come and get a rescue. And because the people will believe the lie told to them by the media, they will believe a solution that a leader gives to them that sounds plausible, they will accept it. And again, we've saw in the last three years that already put into practice in a different way on a worldwide scale. It is very easy to believe that these people will fall for this. And they will. And the Antichrist is going to be considered to be a great hero. Now, another thing that he is going to attempt to do is he is going to solve the Middle East problem. The problem that's been raging the news for thousands of years. That we need to have peace in the Middle East. Every politician who's tried to make a claim of the fame has tried to give peace in the Middle East. Well, the Antichrist is going to be the next person to try that. Let's get peace in the Middle East. Let's make peace upon the world. Now, it's during that time as the Antichrist is going to be negotiating with the Hebrew people that another event is going to occur and that is going to be the battle of Gog and Magog. The identification of Gog and Magog in the book of Ezekiel is going to be Russia and the Muslim confederates. Russia and the Muslim confederates. Now what's going to happen <coughs> that in the Antichrist is going to attempt and be successful in establishing a one world religion. Now, where we stand presently before the rapture, there are only two religious groups that will be diametrically opposed to a one world religion. The first group is born-again Bible-believing Christians. Born-again Bible-believing Christians reject an idea of a one-world religion. And yet our world even today, that's what they want. They want to coexist. They want everyone to get together. They want to say that we all believe the same thing. Well, the, that problem is going to be taken care of during the rapture. After the rapture, there are no born-again Christians who will be able to oppose a one-world religion. Now, the other group that is opposed to a one-world religion is going to be the Muslims. The Muslims who follow Islam believe that there is only one God, and that God is Allah, and he has one prophet, and his name is Muhammad, that Muhammad is his prophet. And that the Muslim people all will not allow a one world religion. They will not support. They will not go with it. They believe there is only one religion and that is Islam. Everyone else is an infidel. And if you're an infidel, you need to be conquered, dealt with. We can't have you. Well, 
the Christians are taken away, that means that there's only one other group that would stand in the way of the Antichrist starting a one world religion. That is the Muslims. Well, the Muslims and the Russians are going to join together. And if they want to have peace in the Middle East, the, the <coughs> Muslims have to get rid of a group of people called the Jewish people. They're in their way. They're going to have peace in the Middle East. So when the Antichrist begins to negotiate with the Jewish people, the Russians and the, and the uh, Islamic people are going to join together in a confederacy to stand against the <coughs> Jewish people. Now, today in our world right now, uh, the greatest supporter and defender of Israel is America. Well, if America is taken off the map... There's no one to stand in the way if someone wanted to try to wipe off Israel. We're kind of like the big brother that's standing behind that. They keep looking at us and say, we're not going to do it, but we want to. Well, when America's taken out of the way, Russia and the <laughs> Muslims are going to join together and they are going to attack the Antichrist and Israel. And so as Israel and the Antichrist are being uh, under attack, the planes are in the air, the tanks are coming, a miraculous thing happens. God actually fights for the Antichrist. That what's going to happen as Russia and the Muslim invaders come, as they begin to fly, with the snap of God's finger, they're all gone, they disappear. And God supernaturally protects Israel. Now the Muslims are gone. The two opposing forces to a one world religion are now taking off the playing field. Now the Antichrist can establish a one world religion. Once again, setting up peace around the world. And the battle of Gog and Magog is going to be the defeat, the supernatural destruction of Russia and the Islamic allies. The next thing on the calendar. Now the rapture hasn't started or the tribulation has not started yet. This is all preparatory work. The next thing to happen is the peace agreement with the Jewish people to rebuild the temple. It's supposed to say rebuild the temple by the Antichrist. The Antichrist is going to authorize this. By the way, this is the official start of the tribulation. The peace agreement between the Jewish people and the Antichrist to rebuild the temple is the official start of the tribulation. That means between the rapture and the tribulation is a small space of time. We don't know how long it is. It could be very short. It could be a little bit longer, but it's not going to be too long. But there is a small amount of time where America's wiped off the map. The Antichrist comes up to solve the problems, begins to set a peace agreement with the Hebrew people and the Russias and the Islamic people band together, go to attack. They're defeated. Now with them wiped off the map, the Antichrist can go ahead and establish a peace agreement. What is this peace agreement going to um, entail? Well, the Jewish people, their hope is that the temple will finally be rebuilt. So much so that the Jewish people today in Israel in warehouses have all the supplies already ready to go to rebuild the temple. They are just waiting. What are they waiting for? Well, on the real estate where the temple sits is another holy shrine, holy to the Muslim people called the Dome of the Rock. 
And the Muslims will not allow the Jewish people to build on that site. That is their holy site now. Well, with the Muslim people now off the map, there's no one to oppose for them to bulldoze and to, to raise the Dome of the Rock. And now with that real estate available, they could start rebuilding the temple that the Jewish people sorely and desperately want. So desperate, they're going to make this peace agreement with the Antichrist. Again, once this peace agreement is signed, once they agree to it, the hands have been shooken. Now the clock begins. Now uh, Daniel's 70th week now starts. The stopwatch is clicked again and time begins to run. The seven years now begin. Now in the tribulation, we could divide the tribulation period into three different distinct parts. Let's hit the first part. The first part is the first half of the tribulation. The first half of the tribulation. Now once the peace agreement with the Jewish people to rebuild the temple with the Antichrist uh, is concluded, the tribulation begins. The tribulation is in a seven-year period, so if you were to cut it in half, it would be three and a half years. In the first three and a half years, there are a lot of things that begin to occur. In fact, we started to read about it in Revelation chapter 6. The very first part as the tribulation begins is what we have, what we call the seal judgments. Revelation chapter 6 mentions this, the seal judgments. Inside of the sealed judgments, God begins to pour down his wrath upon the world. This world that has rejected God and rejected God's ruling presence. They've all stood before and said, we don't want God to rule over us. We don't want God to tell us what to do. We want to live our own lives. And so now with the Holy Spirit taken away and God's people taken away, there is nothing to stop the judgment of God from falling upon this world. And the sealed judgments are the very beginning parts. We see that in Revelation 6. It says, and I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals, I heard as it were the noise of thunder, and one of the four beasts saying, come and see. And I saw and behold a white horse, and he that sat on him had a bow, and the crown was given unto him, and he went forth conquering and to conquer. What we see is the Antichrist beginning to move forward. That is actually one of the first judgments that fall upon the world is this influence of the Antichrist. The second seal now begins to be opened, verse 3. And when he had opened the second seal, I saw the second beast saying, Come and see. And there went out another horse that was red, and power was given to him that sat thereon to take peace from the earth and that they should kill one another. And there was given unto him a great sword. So this is a picturesque um, symbology of a literal event. What happens is that war begins to break out. So this great man of peace is going to be overseeing a great time of war. And war is going to rage across the planet. Verse number five, and when he had opened the third seal, I heard the third beast saying, come and see. And I beheld and lo, a black horse and he that sat on him had a pair of balances in his head, uh, in his hand. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four beasts saying, a measure of wheat 
for a penny, and three measures of barley for a penny, and see that thou hurt not the oil and wine. This fourth seal is going to be of famine. What's going to happen is that famine is going to go across the world and that the ingredients to buy a loaf of bread is going to cost a penny. Now, some of you may be calculating and say, wait a second, if a loaf of bread is worth a penny, man, I could do that. That doesn't sound like an economic problem. Now, let's define our terms. The penny here in the Bible is a full day's wage. A full day's wage. And notice with this full day's wage, you don't buy a loaf of bread. You buy the ingredients, one ingredient to buy bread. Not all the ingredients, one ingredient. This is going to be such a famine that you can't buy a loaf of bread for a day's wage. You could buy an ingredient to make your own bread for a day's wage and then another day's wage to make another loaf of bread. This is going to be a great famine that is going to circle the planet. Now, if you could imagine with all the nuclear war, with the wars raging, with the things that fall in America's taken off the map, Russia's now injured, there's going to be a great famine upon all of the earth. And people are going to be starving and they're going to give a full day's wage just to get some ingredients to make some bread for their family. A horrible time. Verse 8. And I looked and behold a pale horse. And he, his name that sat on him was death. And hell followed at with him. And power was given to him over the fourth part of the earth. To kill with the sword and with hunger and with death and with a beast of the earth. Now if you don't mind let's play with numbers. Right now we have eight million or eight billion with a B people on this earth. That was the latest statistics. Eight billion people. That's a lot of people. Just for numbers sake, let's say that there are two billion Christians. We don't believe that there's two billion Christians on the world, but for numbers sake, let's say there are. And let's say that in the first initial volleys before the tribulation begins, that two billion people are killed. That leaves us four billion people. And with this, just playing with numbers, the famine is going to be so intense that a fourth of what is left will be killed. So if we're down to four billion, you take a fourth away, one billion people will die of famine in the first couple years of the tribulation. This is some bad times that have come. And it's not over. This is the beginning. This is the first set of judgments, the sealed judgments. Notice if you don't mind, it gets so bad. Verse number 12. And when, and I beheld when he had opened the sixth seal, that lo, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became as blood, and the stars of heaven fell into the earth, even as a fig tree casteth her untimely figs, when she is shaken of a mighty wind, and heaven was departed as a scroll, when it is rolled together, and every mountain and island were moved out of their places, and the kings of the earth, and the great men, And the rich men, 
and the chief captains and the mighty men and every bondman and every freeman hid themselves in the dens and the rocks of the mountains and said to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him that satteth on the throne. Notice this phrase, and from the wrath of the Lamb. Now, I don't know how many of you had the privilege to work on a farm, but probably the last creature you'll ever be afraid of is a lamb. When they are referring to the wrath of the lamb, they know that this is Jesus Christ. They know who it is that is bringing down judgment upon them. And yet they're so hard-hearted they will refuse to get right. They would rather hide in mountains and pray that the mountains collapse on them so they could get rid of the judgment rather than turn to God in repentance. This is going to be a time of hard-heartedness, a rejection of God that's only going to be more emboldened with the Holy Spirit being withdrawn from this, time, from this place at this time. It is going to be a horrible time of destruction and death. And people know where it's coming from. From the wrath of the Lamb. Now following the sealed judgments are going to be a more intense judgments called the trumpet judgments. We those see those trumpet judgments come in chapter 8 and chapter 9. And the trumpet judgments are going to be very awful. How awful will it be? Well, notice with me as we see just a sampling, Revelation chapter 9. Revelation chapter 9. And notice with me in verse number 5. Revelation 9 and verse 5. And to them it was given that they should... Uh, um, Oh, let's go ahead and hit verse 1. Uh, Revelation 9, verse 1. And the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star fall from heaven unto the earth, and to him that was given the key of the bottomless pit. And he opened the bottomless pit, and there arose smoke out of the pit, as the smoke of a great furnace. And the sun and the air were darkened by the reason of the smoke of the pit. And it came out of the smoke locust upon the earth and there was unto them given power as the scorpions of the earth have power and it was commanded them that they should not hurt the grass of the earth neither any green thing neither any tree but only those men that had not the seal of God in their foreheads or only harm those who are not saved Verse 5, and to them it was given that they should not kill them, but they should be tormented five months. And the torment was as a torment of a scorpion when he striketh the man. And in those days shall men seek death and shall not find it and shall desire to die and death shall flee from them. This period is going to be so horrid in the judgment that in the fifth of the trumpet judgments that there is going to be released a creature that we have not seen before. And this creature is going to come and it's going to have a poisonous sting and it's going to start stinging those people who have not accepted Christ as their savior. It's going to feel like your blood's boiling. You could feel the poison coursing through your veins. But the worst thing about it is that it doesn't kill you. In fact, it seems that there is a supernatural lock on death, meaning that nobody can die. 
Nobody will be able to die. They're going to seek death. This carries the idea that they are actually going to attempt to commit suicide, to kill themselves, and they're not going to be able to. And now they have to live not only with the, the poison coursing through them, but whatever damage they did to themselves and still not die. It is a horrible time of judgment poured upon the earth for its rejection of God and for Christ. It is a horrible time and the trumpet judgments will continue. Now, it's not all bleak and uh, dreary because God still has a purpose. God is still doing something in this time. The, one of the things that he is doing is that he's going to have 144,000 Hebrew evangelists and two witnesses. In Revelation chapter 7, it mentions them that there's 144,000 people, 12,000 from each of the 12 Jewish tribes, Hebrew tribes. These aren't Gentiles. And they are going to be witnesses on the earth. Now let me pause. We know that there are some people, <coughs> Jehovah's Witnesses, who believe that there's 144,000 people who are going to heaven. And by the way, that 144,000 is already capped off that you don't get to go to heaven. In fact, one of our folks, when we were going so winning yesterday, ran into a Jehovah's Witness. And they said, are you 100% sure that you're, if you die today, you go to heaven? They go, I am not. I am not. I am a Jehovah's Witness. I'm going to be here on this earth. Okay, cool. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that during this tribulation period, God is going to be working to bring the Hebrew people to himself. And during this time, while judgment is falling upon this earth, he is taking 144,000 Hebrew people and bringing them to himself. Notice this. This is a key old detail that I have recently discovered. Notice with me in... Um, Cool. I don't see it now. Forgive me. I'll find it when I'm not looking. But it says in this passage somewhere that all of them are virgins. What does that mean? This is a child revival. These are teenagers who are coming to know Christ as their Savior, who are realizing that God was their Messiah after all. And these 120 to uh, 44,000 Jewish evangelists are going to be young people who are going to be used of God to reach the world during their time. Oh, God wants to use kids. He wants to use them and has a special place and a hand for them, even in God's program of the tribulation. And he's going to use these young people who are going to get saved, trust Jesus as their Messiah, and they're going to be used as a witness. Notice where in verse number nine, Revelation 7, 9. And after this, I beheld and lo, a great multitude which no man could number of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues stood before the throne and before the lamb clothed in white robes and palms in their hand and cried with a loud voice salvation to our God which sitteth upon the throne and upon the Lamb. These are speaking about all these people that got saved. That these 144,000 Jewish evangelists are going to go to every people group around the world. Not to every political nation, but every people group. And go to all of them, to all the reaches, and still give a gospel witness. That God is doing a great work at this time. 
God is not just burning the earth, but he has it for a purpose to draw the Hebrew people to himself. And he could use the Hebrew people to turn around and reach a lost and dying world. Now the 144,000 are not the only witnesses here. In Revelation 11, we have the other two witnesses. These two witnesses are going to be here for the entire first half of the tribulation. The Bible even lists how many days they're going to be there. Revelation 11.3. And I will give power unto my two witnesses and they shall prophesy a thousand 203 score days. If you total that up, that's three and a half years. So for three and a half years, they're going to be in Jerusalem. The Bible's already mentioned that in the Holy City, verse 2. And these are the uh, olive trees, the two candlesticks. God had prophesied about them before in the Old Testament. And they're going to have the ability, notice in verse 5, if any man will hurt them, so anyone has a desire to harm those two witnesses, fire proceedeth out of their mouth and devoureth their enemies. And if any man will hurt them, he must in this manner be killed. And these have the manner to shut up heaven, that it rain not in the days of their prophecy and have power over the waters to turn them to blood and to smite the earth with all plagues as oft as they will. So here, these two witnesses are going to be in Jerusalem and they're going to be preaching. People are not going to like their message. So every time someone tries to kill them, try to shut them up, try to arrest them, that they're going to be able to bring fire down. They're going to be able to bring plagues like the old Egyptian days. And anyone who tries to bother them, that they're going to get judgment in return. And these two witnesses are going to continue to preach all throughout this time for three and a half years in Jerusalem. But now we come to a midpoint. Sometime at the end of this three and a half years, someone is finally going to get through and kill these two witnesses. They're going to shoot them dead on the street. We're assuming shoot. But I want you to remember that this is in our future. This isn't in the past. So you may think, okay, Jerusalem in the Bible, and you may see people in robes and sandals. Get that out of your mind. They're wearing sneakers. There are people wearing suits, clothes just like you. In the future, there's going to be CNN. I'm pretty sure that all of CNN is going to remain intact through the rapture. CNBC, all going to be intact. Pretty much all of Fox News is still going to be here. And everybody's going to be there recording and witnessing everything that is there. And they're going to be giving a report. Look, someone finally got away, killed these two witnesses that have been aggravating us. We're glad. Notice as we see about this. And verse 7, and when they have finished their testimony at the end of the three and a half years, the beast that ascendeth out of the bottomless pit shall make war against them and shall overcome them and kill them. And their dead bodies shall lie in the street of that great city, which is spiritually called Sodom and Egypt, where our Lord was crucified. So we have the identification. Where is this city at? Where Jesus was crucified? Jerusalem. So in Jerusalem, this is going to happen. People are going to be there recording this, verse 9. And they of the people and the kindreds and the tongues of the nations shall see their dead bodies. How are they going to be able to see their dead bodies? Cable news, YouTube. They'll be able to witness this live through technology. And all the people are going to witness this. And they shall see their dead bodies three 
days and a half and shall not suffer their dead bodies to be put in the grave. So think about this. They hate these people so badly, they're just going to let them lay there in, on the street rotting for three and a half days. Notice what the rest of the world is doing. Verse 10. And they that dwell upon the earth shall rejoice over them and make merry and send gifts one to another because these two prophets tormented them that dwelt on the earth. So they're going to have a special holiday all across the world just because these two people died. People are going to be sending presents. They're going to send rejoicers, big parties. Yay, it's prophet death day. Yay, they're dead. Oh, Merry Christmas to you. Oh, here's some presents to you. Yay, big parties. But notice what happens. Verse number 11. And after three days and a half, the spirit of life from God entered into them. And they stood on their feet and great fear fell upon them which saw them. Now again, CNN's there. Fox News is there. CNBC, all the internet people are there. Yes, we're enjoying the worldwide celebration of the two prophets. We're live on scene here in Jerusalem. Wait, something's happening. They're getting to their feet. Can you believe this? They're standing up. And all the world's now glued to their television, to their phones, watching this. What's going on? they're confused. We've never seen somebody just get up from the dead. We've, we've left them there on purpose. They're not like hidden away. People are there gathered having a celebration and they stand up. Verse 12, and they, everyone who's watching this, heard a great voice from heaven saying unto them, come up hither. And they ascended up to heaven in a cloud and their enemies beheld them. That means everyone is watching as they get up, they stand up, dust themselves off, look around. They hear a big voice in heaven. That's God saying, hey, come on up. And they watch as they ascend up to heaven. The cameras, the phones, everyone's in shock. What's going on here? A great miracle has occurred. And the people are shocked. And that ends the first half of the tribulation. Now we come to the midpoint of the tribulation. At the very midpoint of the tribulation, the first three and a half years, this becomes a spot that becomes very important. A lot of things now happen rapidly. The two and a half witnesses are ascended up to heaven, but at the same time, the Bible records another event that's going on in heaven. There's a war in heaven. What Satan is going to do that Satan, as much as he knows the Bible and he knows God, he think he is still so prideful and arrogant enough to still believe he can win. And what's going to happen is that he is going to take his forces to heaven with one last attempt to overthrow God. And Satan's going to lose. And he's not going to be happy about this. So what he's going to do is he's going to come take it out on the world. And so there's a war up in heaven. The Bible describes it in Revelation chapter 12. Now, the next thing we see is the empowering of the Antichrist. Now, Satan does have power, but his power is limited. The one thing about Satan is that he is a good imitator. And so, because he wants to imitate God, can you imagine everyone in the world talking about those two witnesses getting to their feet and and then ascending up to heaven. 
It's almost enough that someone might actually consider that God is real. Well, Satan doesn't want that. So what Satan is going to do is that he is going to have his antichrist be killed. He's going to be assassinated. Then what the anti, then what Satan is going to do is because he's an imitator, he cannot raise someone back to life. Satan doesn't have that power. But what he can do is he could become a puppet master. And Satan is going to inhabit the body of the Antichrist and make it seem like to the rest of the world that the Antichrist rose from the dead. It's going to be a magic trick, a parlor trick, smoke and mirrors, because the Antichrist is dead. But the Antichrist is now wearing him as clothes. He's now becoming a puppet. He's the hand inside of the puppet to make him work. And because Satan does have power, it's going to seem like the Antichrist now has magical superpowers. We already have a world that's fascinated with superheroes. Could you imagine when they see a man who seems to all of a sudden develop supernatural powers? And do you think the world can buy that? How many superheroes died and then woke up with superpowers? The world's already prepared for it. And they're going to cheer and glean. Yay, my superhero's alive. The man of peace. Oh, look at how great power he has. And the world is going to be willing to follow to the drum of the Antichrist who is dead and is now inhabited with the force, with the power of Satan himself. By the way, what is Satan doing, by the way? He is imitating God. Remember that Jesus was God robed in flesh. The Antichrist is now going to be Satan robed in flesh, except that the Antichrist was a real person who died and Satan is now wearing him as clothes to imitate. And now the Antichrist, who is now <coughs> dead as, the, um, as Satan is now empowering him, is going to declare to the world that this mark that we had at the very beginning of the tribulation where everyone had to have this, before this time that mark was optional. Now that he's risen from the dead and now that he's firmly in control and has superpowers, he is going to demand everyone take this mark. Everyone needs to put allegiance. Everyone needs to show you're on my side. We need to get rid of the enemies. We need to show who's the enemies. So those people who are on my side, you take this mark. And no one's going to be able to buy or sell anything without that mark. It's going to be your ID. You can't go into buildings. This is the way you have it. And if you don't have this mark, you're an enemy. And you're going to have to be killed. And the Antichrist, it almost sounds familiar, doesn't it? That if you don't have this certain shot, you don't have this certain thing, that there's going to be punishments that come to you. It almost seems like there was a test run a couple years ago. Because we're going to see this carried out inside of the book of Revelation. Notice, so the Antichrist is now going to be empowered. And he's going to demand the mark of the beast that every person has to have this mark or you're an enemy and we are going to kill you. Now, during this whole first three and a half years, the temple has been rebuilt. They've been working on it for three and a half years. At the same time the Antichrist dies, is risen again, he's demanding this mark. They finally finish the the building of the temple. 
And this next event is so significant, it is mentioned in multiple books of the Bible, both Old Testament and New Testament, an event called the abomination of desolation. The abomination of desolation. When the temple is built, the Jewish people are now rejoicing. Now during their dedication day, the Antichrist is going to go into the Jewish temple and the Antichrist is going to declare that he is God and that all mankind must worship him. Well, the Jewish people are going to realize, oops, this was a mistake. He's not our Messiah after all. But this is a big event that the Antichrist would go into a temple that was supposedly set aside for Jehovah God. And he is going to declare himself God and he's going to defile the temple. The Bible mentions this as the abomination of desolation. This is a big event in the tribulation. This marks the turning over of everything. The Jewish people, of course, are going to reject the Antichrist in mass. And this just unilateral rejection of the Antichrist is going to lead where he is not happy with them. And he is going to declare a war against the Antichrist and any believers that attempt to help them. And so this persecution is going to be against the Hebrew people, is going to be worse than any persecution the Hebrew people have ever seen before. And may I say that in the study of history, the Hebrew people have suffered a lot of persecution. You could go back to the 1200s with the, one of the black plagues that swept across Europe. One third of the population of Europe died during that time. And the only people that seemed to be immune were the Hebrew people because the Bible told them to wash their hands and they washed their hands and they, they weren't dying of disease like everyone else. Well, because the Hebrew people or Jewish people were not dying, all of Europe, the Gentiles, the heathen all said, well, it must be the Jewish people that did it. And they started a great persecution to get rid of the Hebrew people that they were convinced that the Jewish people were poisoning their wells and trying to get rid of all the, the <coughs> Jew, uh, Gentile people in Europe. You could go through the Great Inquisition. The Great Inquisition was made to outlaw Judaism and get rid of all Baptist people, but to get rid of the Jewish people. Do you know that during the time of um, Christopher Columbus selling across to America, Judaism was outlawed in Spain? You were not allowed to be a Jewish person in Spain under penalty of death. That's horrible. And then you come to something like the Holocaust where Adolf Hitler rounded up and killed six million Jews. By the way, those are three events. It's not the only events and it's not the worst events. But as bad as the Holocaust was, it was not bad enough to turn the Hebrew people back to God. There needed to be something else that caused the Hebrew people to turn back to God and that's this. The Antichrist is going to send such a war against all the Hebrew people and everyone who attempts to help a Hebrew person. There are going to be many people who die during this time and the Antichrist is so angry. The Hebrew people are going to flee for their lives and they're going to flee Jerusalem. They're going to empty Jerusalem. The Bible talks about this in Matthew 24 and 25 that it said, if you hear this news, you don't even go home, get all your, uh, forget all your stuff. You flee to the mountains and go. The Hebrew people are going to hide. A lot of them are going to hide in the 
uh, area we often call Edom. Inside of Edom, we know that the, one of the capital cities is Petra. You've probably seen that in movies, uh, Indiana Jones, where they have um, the city built inside of the cliffs. That's a real place. And that's where the Hebrew people are going to go to hide. Now, just gee whiz information, it just so happens that there's so many minerals inside of those rocks there that satellite cannot look upon that one spot. There's also enough people who read their Bible to understood what was going on that they went into all of those caves and crevices there and they put in Ziploc bags Bibles so when the Hebrew people flee to there, they'll be able to read the Bible for themselves and see the answers that Jesus was their God after all. And so God has already prepared and worked to make it so the Hebrew people will be able to accept Jesus as their Messiah. Now all of this is the midpoint. Now we come to the second half of the tribulation. The second half of the tribulation is going to be covered with the bowls of wrath. Now we've already had three, uh, we have three sets of judgments. Two of them have already come. We had the seal judgments. We had the trumpet judgments. Now we have the bowl judgments. These bowls are going to be, judgments are going to be worse than the other two combined. You thought the other two were bad. The bowls now pouring God's wrath upon the earth is going to be worse. <laughs> and this whole world is going to be an awful place. In addition, we're going to have the destruction of the harlot Babylon. What is the harlot Babylon? The harlot Babylon is the one world religion that the Antichrist set up. Remember that the Antichrist set up this one world religion to try to get everyone on page believing the same thing, being willing to follow him. Well, Satan has always wanted one thing, everyone to worship him. Now that he's at the place where he feels like he's in firm control, he doesn't want people even worshiping in the one world religion. So he gets rid of the one world religion and demands that everyone worship him and him alone. And so he gets rid of that one world religion system and he demands that everyone worships him. Then Satan is going to gather up all of his forces and he is going to attempt to try to fight against God one last time. This time he is going to use human forces to get rid of God's people. You understand that if Satan can get rid of God's people, then God when we're talking about God's people, we're talking about Hebrew people now. If God could wipe, or if Satan could wipe off the Hebrew people, then God cannot keep his promises and therefore God cannot be God. There's a spiritual war that's gone on for years and years and years where Satan has tried to kill the Hebrew people and wipe them off the map time and time again. Why? Because if the Hebrew people cease to exist, God cannot keep his promise. God therefore cannot be God. God is therefore vulnerable. This is Satan's plan. Well, if I can't defeat God directly, let's get God to stop being God and then I could beat him. And so he is going to gather up all of his forces and he is going to try to destroy the Hebrew people and a direct challenge to God and God is going to meet him in the challenge. We're going to have what is called the Battle of Armageddon. The Battle of Armageddon is the actual Valley of Megiddo. Napoleon himself said this is the most perfect battlefield in all of the world. And it is at this place 
that Satan is going to gather up all of the armies, all of the forces of this world to fight against God, and fight against Christ, to fight against his uh, Hebrew people. And he's going to gather this up. Well, Jesus is going to come back at the Mount of Olives. We covered that before and we'll cover it again on Wednesday. And when Jesus Christ comes back, he's bringing all of us with him. And we're coming back as a mighty army. You say, well, what are we going to do? Nothing. Because Jesus is going to defeat the whole armies of the world with just a word. And they're all going to die. They're gone. And Jesus Christ is going to start his millennial kingdom at this time when he comes back in this second coming of Jesus Christ. Now you say, what do I get from this? What, what applications? First of all, are you going up in the rapture or are you getting left behind? Do you know 100% sure if you were to die today that you are forgiven of your sins and that you've accepted Jesus Christ as your personal savior? Well, if you don't, let us know. It would be our great privilege to take the Bible and to show you from the Bible, explain to you from the Bible how you can know without a doubt that your sins are forgiven and that you can have a home in heaven and you'll be part of the rapture. You'll be wrapped up out of here. You don't have to stay on this awful earth when the wrath of God is being poured out upon this place. Now for us as students of the Bible and students of the prophecy, especially the millennial kingdom, what other principles can we learn? Well, this is something I want you to have down. That the tribulation will begin with no saved people. The tribulation will begin with no saved people. Every person who's been born again is taken out of this place. The tribulation begins with no saved people. Now we know that within the tribulation, God is going to be working with the Hebrew people to bring them to himself and then use those people to reach the world during that time. But the tribulation begins with no saved people. Now, as we come to the millennial kingdom, what do we learn the principle? That the millennial kingdom starts with no lost people. The millennial kingdom starts with no lost people. Everyone who doesn't know Jesus Christ as their savior by the time Jesus Christ comes back is going to die. We have these two, uh, we have this explained to us in two parables, the parable of the wheat and the tares and the parable of the sheep and the goats. Those are two parables we'll cover next Sunday night and next Wednesday. We'll cover these two parables and explain more in detail. But for the purposes of our understanding, the tribulation begins with no saved people. The millennial kingdom begins with no lost people. As God now starts his program of fulfilling his promises to the Hebrew people. The purpose of the tribulation is not for the church. That's not for us. This is our time. For the period of the tribulation, God is working to bring the Hebrew people back to himself where they trust and accept him as their Messiah. The millennial kingdom is the fulfillment of God's promises to the Hebrew people that he had promised them from the very beginning. And we as Gentiles, as Christians, get to be beneficiaries to enjoy the 
benefits of the promises God had made to the Hebrew people. But we're trying to set things in order. I know that this is more instructional tonight. However, this is important to put things into context and have an understanding of how things work. That the purpose of the tribulation is to bring the Hebrew people back to God because they never cease to be God's people. God still has a plan for his people Israel. As for us, our purpose is to make preparations before the tribulation begins, before the rapture happens, that we make sure that we are first of all saved, and second of all, that we are prepared for that judgment seat that we'll face immediately after the rapture. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 530-6308. Once again, that number is 920-530-6308. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.